So this morning is going to be a little bit less of a sermon and more of like a devotional, so we're not spanning 40 minutes or something. I'm thinking like ideally 12 to 15 minutes and we wrap up at 11.30 to head again all of us don't know. So a character that's been in the news uh, recently for some controversial region, reasons and not controversial reasons, but um, we've been hearing about him, and that's LeBron James. How many of you guys know who LeBron James is? My guess is a lot of us do. Yeah. He's like the modern day Michael Jordan. So for those that have no idea who LeBron James is though, he is a professional basketball player in the National Basketball Association, so the NBA, and he is kind of like the name of the NBA right now, and he's known for um, for being an incredible athlete, but he also has, he's just like a very decorated athlete in terms of being an NBA player. So just to move through a couple of his accomplishments. Leaving high school, Sports Illustrated called him the chosen one. Anybody remember that? That's like early 2000s. He's on the front cover of Slam magazine. Uh, he was selected first overall in the, MB, in the 2003 NBA draft. The dude is 6'8", so he's humongous and he's 250 pounds. Perfect for basketball, football, or like any sport, maybe not soccer. He's arguably the best basketball player ever. So these are like specifically what he's done. 2004, Rookie of the Year, four-time MVP, four-time NBA champion, four-time finals MVP, 19 all-star game appearances, and he has the highest scoring NBA record overall. He just beat Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So uh, he's 38 years old now, and he hasn't retired, which is kind of like an anomaly in, in, uh, in the NBA, because usually when you get around that age, like things start wearing out, but apparently he's investing like a million bucks a year into his physique, but he hasn't retired, and impressively, he's also maintained the same numbers, like the same score, uh, scoring ability in his late 30s that he had like in his mid-20s in his prime, which is roughly 30 points a game. But why he hasn't retired has been like a big topic in, in sports news. Like the dude, he's getting up there, he's still impressive, but why is there not an end date? Like MJ had an end date, Kobe had an end date, all these big names had an end date, end date but why not you, LeBron? So LeBron says this, it's because he wants to play with his 18-year-old son, Bronny, who's going to enter the draft. You guys know who Bronny James is? little bit. So he's like 6'3", he's a full-on athletic specimen, and it would be the first, if Bronny played with LeBron, it would be the first time in NBA history that a father has ever played with their son. It would just, it would be like a world record. But this week, news spread that Bronny was in practice, and he suffered, and maybe you guys heard of this, a, a cardiac arrest. So every single news outlet is commenting on this. People are wondering what's its relationship to the vaccine, and now people are also, and it's it's a grieving moment for the for the for like the basketball community. But people are wondering. One article said, "Is this now the time that LeBron's gonna retire? Because that's when MJ retired. Is when his dad got sick, <laughs> or is when his dad died?" <laughs> So in the last few days since the cardiac arrest, Bronny's become stable and is recovered as this massive relief to the NBA, to the NBA world. So this morning we are fast forwarding uh, out of the book of Exodus into the book of Numbers where Moses is faced with yet again like another crippling 
situation like he had in the past that like LeBron was facing this week. His community, and we're, we've been learning about Exodus in the last few weeks for folks that aren't a part of um, our, our community normally. But he's in the, in the passage that we're visiting today, it's, it's, it's a few books ahead in Numbers. It's not an ex, ex, Exodus. We're fast-forwarding. Uh, Moses is with his community that he's leading in the desert, and they're full-on out of water, and they're in need of a miracle. Like, in the desert, desperate for water, this community needs a miracle. And instead of Moses trusting Yahweh, God, Moses takes this problem into his own hands, needing a miracle, and he does something that God said don't do, and it ends up disqualifying him from all these future benefits of himself entering into the promised land. So, uh, Lord, you know us well, and uh, I know that when we head into Scripture, it's kind of like this, this tool that uh, calls out the best and the worst in us. So help us to be present to ourselves this morning, to your voice, and uh, how you might want to speak to us through your word. So for folks, uh, I'm moving kind of quickly, guys, because we're on a bit of a time crunch. Uh, if you have a Bible, the book version or the digital version, we're in uh, Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 to 13. Which uh, This is like a book you don't visit all that often unless you're reading through the Bible in a year. Like, how many of you have just been, like, diving into numbers lately and loving it? <laughs> yeah, like, it's pretty well, unless you're on a reading plan, you're, you're not really visiting numbers. Uh, but the, the title numbers, it's in Hebrew, and I'm going to butcher the title, it's Bar Mitbar, and what it means in Hebrew is in the wilderness. So it's referring to the Israelites coming out of Egypt before the Promised Land, and we're there in the wilderness. So I'm satelliting into this passage but I'm just going to start reading it and kind of be narrating as we go, trying to fill in some of the blanks. Everyone got it? Numbers 20? A few of you got it? So in the first month, the whole Israelite community that's coming out of Egypt arrived at the desert of Zin and stayed at Kadash, two places I've never heard of. There Miriam died and was buried. So who's Miriam? Anybody know who Miriam is? Yeah, Moses and Aaron's sister. So their sisters died, and they were together at one point. And now there was no water for the community, and people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. So they're in the desert, they're out of water, and it, the uh, friction's rising, tension's rising in the community because of this challenge. It's like desperate, desperate, it's a desperate time. Verse 3. They quarreled with Moses and said, only if we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. They're, they're like kind of whining a bit right now. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? So why did you bring our community into the bar mitbah, bar, bar mitbar, where we're going to die here and our livestock too? Why did you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place that has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink from? So they're like, they're saying full-on irrational things. This, this, these guys just came out of slavery under Pharaoh, and now they're saying, like, screw this all. Let's go back to Egypt. We don't have any water. Let's just, like, chuck it in. We're, we're, let's go home. Like, they're, they've headed to this place of irrational thinking. Verse 6, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the, to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down. 
So they're, they're like falling face down. We don't hear about folks doing that that often. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. So the glory word here is kavod. It means like the weightiness of Yahweh came in front of them. It's just they knew who Yahweh was in that moment. And I don't know if you guys associate chat, like falling down before God as, a, as an act of maturity. I, I certainly do do that. It's folks who face adversity and one of their knee-jerk reactions is to come in front of God with a lot of humility and honesty and kind of have like that falling face down posture. Verse 7, the Lord said to Moses, take the staff. So we've heard of this staff in the book of Exodus. It turned into a snake who's involved in the Red Sea experience. Take this staff and you and your brother Aaron, who's still alive, not Miriam, gather the assembly together, speak to that rock. Speak to a rock. What? Speaking to a rock. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. Since when do rocks pour out water? Like, unless, unless there's a river flowing under them, or a stream or something, rocks don't do that. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. So perform a miracle in front of those that you're leading. But there's this, there's this key word there. How's it going to happen? How's, how's the water going to come from the rock? Did anyone catch that? Yeah, it's going to happen through speaking to the rock. Where is like the first encounter in the Bible where we, see, where we see God speaking and then something's created? This is, this is referencing way back. This is familiar for Moses. Page one. God spoke the world into being. So this is like, this is a familiar situation. Moses is going to speak something and, and something's going to be created out of nothing, out of chaos, out of something that can't normally be created. Water's going to come from this rock, out of a rock to this community in a, in a situation of challenge. So Moses took the staff, verse 9, from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. He raised his arm and he struck the rock. He struck the rock. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. So how did, how did Moses make water come from the rock? He struck it. But what, how did God say water is going to come from the rock? Speak to it. He was going to speak it. So like that, that's a moment where Moses isn't doing it, what, God, what God had asked him to do. And we're going to see what happens. Verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, to Moses and his brother Aaron, Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in sight of the Israelites, they were to, Moses was to speak this to the rock in front of the Israelites to, to somehow bolster God's holiness in that moment. You will not bring this community into the land I give them. Which land are they referring to? The promised land, yeah. Which was promised to Abram, a, descent, a, a Jewish descendant from way back. Moses, although he just led the community out of Egypt, it's in that fatal error that he's not, he's not allowed to bring the community into the promised land. He's now not going to participate in it. Verse 13, these were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he, was proved, where he was proved holy among them. 
So there's a, there's a few knee-jerk reactions in the room, I bet. And I imagine if I was to categorize most of them, it's probably, it's probably the distance between when the text was written and happened and when we're reading it today. And I imagine that the kind of the one leaping off the page, at least, at least it was for me, I don't know if it is for you, is that why was Moses disqualified from the promised land after one mistake? You know, like, is God really that fickle that he would say to Moses, no, you're not, gonna, you're not going to the place that you've been dreaming about um, because you did that one thing? A really awesome objection. If we had more time, we'd probably be able to get into it a bit more today. But it's wrapped up. There's nuance to it, lots of nuance, because it does seem fickle of God. But it's wrapped up in this idea that God desires partners. He's always choosing partners when there isn't partners. And Moses happens to be the faithful partner. And he's just done, he, just, he just did something that demonstrated that he's not actually trusting Yahweh. Is he fit to take the community into the promised land? So kind of the, the key thought, and it's to literally the perfect timing, 1129, that I want us to take away today is, uh, is how, do we, like, how do we interact with adversity? How do we interact with adversity in our lives? Do, when, when the going gets tough, and I don't say this to get up all in your business, I say this as a question that might be a conduit for your experience of more of the promised land in your own life, and in your family's life, and in your community's life. Is when the going gets tough, do you jump ship and all of a sudden compromise? is okay or the alternative is do you set your expectations right and and partner with God and be patient with God and wait for him to creatively come up with solutions how do you respond to adversity is it compromise or is it patiently waiting with a resetting of expectations so just to I guess to hunker down on those questions a bit more just to make them clear and these are the ones you can kind of put in your pocket for later is what's the challenge or unmet expectation in your life this morning? And what's the miracle you're waiting for? I invited you guys, I pretty well asked the same question last week. What's the miracle you're waiting for? And I encourage you to, uh, to name it. Like it's just, it's helpful when you name it, when you actually can nail down what are you waiting for. And then secondly is uh, what's your relationship to the rock? And I'm using a meta, I'm using like an analogy, but What's your relationship to God's promises in that circumstance? What's your relationship to the rock? Are you able to wait patiently for that miracle to happen? So we're done. I'm just going to pray, and then we can kind of transition out. So Lord, um, guide us into, into trusting you more. Make us folks that are genuinely compassionate, that we have uh, sincere hearts, but also um, have this ability to be resilient. And this doesn't mean that we're numb to the, our own suffering or the suffering of others or to feel in everything that's to be felt when a tragedy happens, but uh, to participate in becoming a better version of ourselves and a more fit partner that can uh, help bring more shalom to the world. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Sorry, I'm a little out of breath. Um, we, uh, we're going to transition as uh, more of the Hoods community is arriving to be part of a memorial. So feel no pressure if you're like, I don't even know the Hoods. But if, uh, if it's something you'd like to be part of, we're, we're going to meet in the field.
kind of, there's a field down there. I don't know if everybody knows that, but there's a bridge across a creek and a little field there. I'm really out of breath, sorry. <laughs> Carrying Rudy up the hill. Anyway, so uh, we want to be sensitive to uh, trying to start that sort of on time as well. So we're going to transition kind of quickly. We've got to carry a couple of speakers down. So if anybody wants to lend a hand, that'd be great. Sound good, everybody? Yes. Okay, we're... Uh, we're here again next week, and then it's in homes after that. So we'll see you here next week if, if you aren't able to join us.